You are listening to the News Project in studio. Brought to you by GNAT TV. Hello, and welcome back to another edition of GNAT TV's In Depth Series. I'm Andrew McKeever, the news director at GNAT TV's News Project, and it's a pleasure to have you with us today on Monday, August 7th. Our topic today is civics education. Uh, what students need to know about how our government and democracy works or is supposed to work, how it's set up, and what are the various functions of the federal system? Uh, and how did all those come to be? This issue, of course, took on uh, greater importance, I think, for many of us after the events of January 6, 2021, uh, when all of a sudden uh, the democracy that we grew up with and knew all of a sudden was not seen as perhaps in a an impermeable uh, institution that was always going to be there and that's something we needed to understand a little bit better and how it worked. Uh, clearly a major moment in our country's history that uh, uh, was a challenge for all of us. Um, so here today to talk about civics education, uh, what should students know in school, uh, we have a very distinguished panel uh, assembled for you here. Really pleased to be joined today by Senator uh, Brian Campion, who is one of the two state senators from Bennington County. He's also the chairman of the Senate Education Committee. Senator Campion, thank you for being great here. Great to be here. Also great to be joined by Secretary of State Sarah Copeland Hanses, who uh, was elected to that position uh, last year after uh, a long career in the State House in Vermont. Uh, Secretary Hanses, thank you very much for making a long drive down from Montpelier. It's very nice to be here. And we're also pleased to be joined today by Chris Alfano, who is a student at Burn Burton Academy. And uh, you may have heard he and his brother Michael developed a, uh, an app for your computer, uh, Civically it's called, and uh, contains a lot of great information about uh, civics, the American government, how it works, uh, the Constitution, everything you needed to know about all of that. Uh, worth a download if you have the time. Chris, thank you very much for making the time to be with us today. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's really good to have you all here. Um, so let me start off with uh, pretty obvious questions, it seemed like to me. Uh, Senator Campion, let me start with you. Uh, why is civics education important? What, what, what does it matter if students uh, don't learn about how the government works and how it's set up until later in high school or even whenever? Yeah, no, thanks for the question and thanks for having us. And I'm so glad to be here with our Secretary of State and also with Chris, who I'm sure without a doubt, we'll see his name on the ballot sooner rather than later in this state, which is great. Uh, you know, civic education is so important because young people, we all need to know how to engage in politics. We all need to know how to get things done. We all need to know when our democracy is being threatened. And we all, I think, also recognize that our democracy hasn't been threatened like this, perhaps in, in the entire history of the United States. So how do you engage uh, in the political process is, is essential. How do you find in government those sort of levers, those points of power, if you will, decision-making? So if you are a young person, if you're an old person, if you're a middle-aged person, and you want to get something done at your state, local, federal level, how do you do it? And then the other big piece of it is it seems simple, but we all have to be engaged uh, in the voting process, and we all have to be engaged um, knowing as much as we possibly can about candidates, knowing who is going to be the best leader or representative for us. And so that's another essential piece. But, but I would say first and foremost, in this time 
when, um, as you mentioned, after January 6th, we saw this, or during January 6th, this incredible threat to our democracy. How do we work to protect our democracy and enhance it? And all of that is about civic education. Secretary Hansos, your thoughts on that? So um, I think there's two main reasons why civics is important for, uh, for, for Vermonters, for Americans um, to understand. Uh, the first is, is really, as you said in your opening remarks, um, that if you don't understand how government works, it, it makes it harder to discern when you are faced with misinformation about a stolen election. If you don't understand how elections work and how we know our elections are safe and secure. Um, it, it makes you vulnerable to, uh, to, to that misinformation. And the other part of uh, why I think civics is so important is because if you don't understand how government works, how are you going to know how to make government work for you? And by that I mean, um, you know, whatever the issue is that you and your peers uh, believe is a challenge to you in your happiness, your pursuit of, you know, life and liberty, whatever the issue is, uh, you should be able to uh, gather with people who are experiencing the same challenges and petition your government to help fix that problem. That might mean getting out of the way. That might mean bending an appropriation in a different direction if what you see your government is spending money on is not what you need them to be spending money on. But if you don't understand how government works, um, it's really hard to, to figure out how to do that. And so I think civics is about empowering people to make government work for them. Mm. And Chris, what's your take on that? Yeah, civic education really provides a powerful connection between past and present, right? So it's lessons about the founding of our country, the framing of our constitution, you know, how were those institutions established? What were the debates being had about how our government should be structured? And then also understanding what that means for us today. How can I engage with that system that was established, you know, over 200 years ago? How can I petition the government for change? How can I contact my representative? How can I vote? So what I think is really powerful about civics is, you know, that connection between what was established in know, that 18th century literature and then what it means for today and how you can use the rights that were granted to you through the Constitution and the Bill of Rights to enact change and really make a difference in society. I think what both of these folks have just said a lot more eloquently than I is it does empower people. It really does give people power. And without it, and I'm sure there are people out there that don't want people to have power, but having that power allows you to really make a difference. Mm -hmm. yeah. So. Is it your sense, and Senator Camping, let me go back to you, that we are lagging on this front in, in terms of uh, schools in Vermont? I mean, in, in your role as the chair of the Education Committee in the Senate, uh, I mean, is this something that comes up uh, occasionally uh, in some of your conversations? Yeah, no, it's a great question. Every and, and, uh, Secretary of State will know this as well. Uh, I'd say just about every year somebody puts in a bill having to do with civic education. But usually the what it's tied to is requiring students to take a test on civic education before they graduate. In order to graduate, you would have to take a test. And that kind of thing, just personally, I've been averse to. I mean, we don't require any tests for any other really kind of graduation. You know, uh, I mean, there's, there's a process. Some students go through a portfolio process. You take different exams, you know, along the way. But saying, 
this is essential in order to graduate. I've been a little averse to that. One of the things we've learned, though, through the process is when a bill comes in, uh, you know, we have all sorts of people come in to talk about you know, what's happening in the classrooms. And there are a lot of incredible things happening in Vermont classrooms, no question about it. Can they be enhanced? Absolutely. Um, and I think one of the things I'm interested in doing is making sure that teachers have the tools to do that. But I'm also really interested in different ways, and I said this you know, before we got started, to get young people in particular to do civics. And I mentioned earlier, uh, prior to getting started, you know, one of the things we've taken testimony on was an interesting faculty member from Harvard Ed that said, you know, for students to really get civics, they have to do it. So it's one thing talking about it, memorizing it, but you've got to run for the select board. You've got to run for the school board. You have to go to these meetings. You have to get engaged. You have to have a mock election. You know, all these kinds of things really are ways to experience it and get excited about it and understand it. And we do these things with other subjects, like you do science experiments, you do math problems. But civics, we've got to find a way to get people more engaged. And I'll let the Secretary of State talk about uh, her work in this area. But you know, a number of bills have been passed uh, over the past uh, couple of years, or last year, that I know she has been supportive of, to get younger people to vote, to run for office, to get engaged in different ways in their communities. And hopefully that will carry them and give them the experiences they need going forward. So to answer your question, I think Vermont's doing, a, I think teachers are doing a lot of great things. There are standards uh, around civic education. Can they be enhanced? Absolutely. And that's something the legislature and the state board and the administration is interested in. And uh, the other piece is how can we get young people to do it, to get out there and try it? Well, Secretary Hansis, uh, your office is, uh, your, your, this has uh, been a focus for you, I think, since you've been in office. Uh, and you, you have uh, set up a, a new department uh, to design to promote this. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about that. Yes. Um, when I came into office, um, we created a position called uh, the Education and Civic Engagement Coordinator. Um, this is a new position that is going to be focusing on how do we improve civic understanding and engagement across uh, the, the spectrum of people in Vermont. Um, and, you know, it really came about um, out of this feeling that we have done so much in recent years in Vermont to um, to reduce barriers to voting, right? And, and voting is, is sort of the baseline measure of civic engagement. If you don't vote, you're probably not going to be considered to be civically active. Um, uh, and, and so we've done all of these uh, wonderful reforms to make it easier for people to vote. Uh, you know, we, we started with automatic voter registration so that when you get your driver's license, you're automatically given the opportunity to uh, register to vote. We now have same-day voter registration so that if you happen to have moved sometime before the election, um, you can register in that new community on the day of the election. And, uh, and after uh, COVID hit and we uh, decided that it probably wasn't safe for us to stand in line and speak face-to-face -face with, uh, with the poll workers in our communities. We, uh, we started uh, Universal Vote by Mail, and that was so popular that in 2021 we came back um, in the legislature and passed it into law permanently so that your general election ballot will always uh, come in, in the mail to you. 
so what are the other reasons why people don't vote? Well, they don't vote because they don't understand uh, the importance of voting. Sometimes people tell me they don't vote because they don't think their vote counts. You know, oh, it's just going to turn out the way all of those powerful, well-connected people want it to, so why should I bother voting? Um, sometimes people don't vote because they don't want to vote in ignorance. Mm -hmm. and, and that is a very deeply held, mm -hmm. genuine belief that a lot of people have is, I don't have the time to research all of those people on the ballot, and I don't want to just go and throw my vote away. It's part of the reason why so often you see a drop-off in down-ballot races, right? You start with the president or the governor and lieutenant governor, and then as you, as you look, many people drop off as you go further down the ballot because it's easy to find an article about the people who are running for governor, right? It's easy to find an article about uh, the, someone who's running for LG. It's a lot harder to find good news coverage of some of those down-ballot races, particularly in really rural parts of the state um, and, and in places in the state where our, our media and our press have, um, have become concentrated and uh, no longer community focused. And so with this civics engagement will come the creation of a voter guide so that when you get your ballot in 2024 for the November election, you'll also get access to a voting guide that not only will talk about the, the candidates who are on the ballot, but what do each of those offices do? Because who really remembers what mm -hmm. the high bailiff does, right? But yet we mm -hmm. vote for high bailiff. Uh, so wouldn't it be nice if we made it easier for people who maybe only see high bailiff on the ballot and otherwise in their daily life they don't have any reason to think about what that position does? Let's just make sure that when people have the opportunity to vote, that they're provided all of that information in an easy-to-find way. It's also uh, it's all, uh, often like kind of struck me that uh, when we, we get elections where 50% of the checklist turns out to vote, that's considered great. Right. And I'm thinking, yes. yeah, but that means half of the electorate didn't vote, you know. And, and Why should we be feeling races, good about that? In close races, that means that somebody won with maybe only 26% yeah. of their neighbors supporting them. And so how is that a representative democracy? Yeah. Well, Chris, uh, I'm dying to hear what your take is on the feelings and attitudes of, of your peer group, your generation, about uh, civics and voting. I mean, is this something that you talk about a lot or, or is on the, on the radar in some way or another? I mean, I just wonder what, uh, what your sense of that is. Yeah, so in my generation, there's definitely a lot of concern for pressing social issues and a desire to take action, but there isn't a lot of concern for, you know, how you can actually take the steps to affect that change in your society. Um, and so that's, you know, sort of what brought me to developing the Civically app, if you'd like me to talk a little bit about Absolutely, that. Absolutely, yeah. Um, you know, the way things were being taught in school um, regarding civics certainly doesn't work for everybody as of now. It's sort of a lot of reading dense texts, uh, lectures, and stuff like that. And so what I was looking to do was really look for a way to gamify it, to make it simpler, to combine 18th century literature and concepts with 21st century innovation. And so that's what really brought me and my brother to developing an app. So the app contains uh, summaries with 21st century language of founding documents like the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. And then it has fun multiple choice quiz games that you can do. So you can really assess your knowledge and then see what you know and see how you can improve. 
And the goal of this really is to educate the population about their government and how it works so that they can see, oh, the legislature is what's responsible for, you know, enacting social change in this area. Hmm. I'm going to, you know, research my representative and send them a letter and say, I'd like to see this change. Um, so it just goes back to, you know, the point of Secretary Copeland-Hansis and Senator Campion um, that, you know, if, if you don't understand how your government is structured, how can you expect to access those points of power and contact your government and really affect change? Because it's one thing to want to see change and have a desire for change. It's another thing to actually enact it. And so having the knowledge of how the government is structured uh, really empowers you to access your government uh, more easily and to, to you know, let that change come to fruition in your society. Well, after I first heard about this app, mm -hmm. I, of course, immediately had to download it and went through mm -hmm. it. And it, it really is a, an amazing piece of work. I have to give you, you two tremendous compliments on it. Uh, I went through it and uh, learned a lot of stuff I didn't know about. And I thought, oh, man, this is going to be, you know, no big deal. I know all this. Guess what? No, I didn't. And uh, so it's a really great job. And uh, I just uh, I, I, I just wonder, you know, uh, you know, if... if uh, Given the times that we're, we seem to be going through, if, if this is going to be an area where, you know, people will become more motivated to learn more about, you know, the ins and outs of how the government actually works, how do, who do they go to if they have a problem or a question about something, or are we just going to slump backwards and kind of just remain somewhat ignorant about the whole thing, or leave it up to the people, the half of the electorate that does go to the polls and votes and decides who's going to be in the Senate or the Congress or governor or president. I think what Chris has done has, has been incredible because it does give more people access. And then again, in sort of a fun, interesting, different way. So they can, you know, approach it rather than reading through, like he said, a dense text or even a long Wikipedia article. This kind of is, 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 is more geared to, and I wouldn't say just people your generation, right? I mean, you enjoyed it. Or, you know, I'm looking for you taking a look at it. Um, you should probably announce how to find it on here so people can can access it. I got it off the App Store. All right. <laughs> Whatever yeah. that is. And the app is called? Civically. Civically. <laughs> Civically. Yeah. And I think it also, back to uh, one of the things Secretary Copeland-Hansis said, uh, which is so important, was I think there is an intimidation factor there when you go in and vote. You know, you don't want to make a mistake. You don't want to, uh, you know, I don't know, be seen as somehow foolish or, or silly. And I remember registering people to vote, you know, who were 55 and it was their first time to vote. Sometimes it's a local election, somebody coming to them, talking about them. One of the things the Secretary of State's office has done, which has been incredibly helpful, is, you know, you can download your ballot, you can take a look at who's on it. All those things I think help people. Um, and I think the earlier people get engaged in it, you know, the better. Yeah. Yeah, and you know what, I guess what I would say to that is if the system isn't working for you right now, you're having trouble making ends meet, you can't find an affordable place to live, maybe uh, maybe childcare is unavailable in your part of the state and you want to be able to work to support your family, but you literally can't find a, a safe place to have your children stay while you're at work. All of those things are part of a system and that system wasn't designed by you or me, uh, but it wasn't designed for you. And if you want it to work for you, 
it's time to get activated and, and uh, engage with other people who are having those same challenges and make some change. And I think that the childcare example is a really good one that is, is uh, you know, of recent uh, events here in Vermont. There's been a two or three year campaign going on uh, to really increase awareness in, um, in, in terms of the shortage of uh, adequate childcare. And finally this year, we were able to uh, see our legislature pass a really forward thinking bill to, uh, to really invest in the childcare infrastructure as a means for workforce development, as a means for um, giving kids the best start in uh, academically in life. Um, and you know, I think it's really uh, a testament to all of those working parents who stood up and said, mm. look, we can't do this. You know, we can't take that job that you're offering unless we have a safe place for our children to be. Yeah, democracy is alive and well in Vermont, for sure, uh, where, you know, you can get a group of people together and, and advance an issue. Um, but even there, as, as everyone has mentioned, we're not getting people to the polls as much as we, we can be or should be. I am wondering, has it been sort of gradually increasing? Do you have a sense of it's number? Sort of. It kind of depends. Sort of depends. And I know it depends yeah. on presidential elections, all that it, sort of yep. thing. A lot of it depends on uh, on the activity on any particular yeah. ballot, which is why in the off-presidential years, we tend to see lower turnout. Mm -hmm. And then when there's a presidential election on the ballot, we see slightly higher turnout. So we see this yeah. over time. Okay. Um, and, you know, we'd like to see more consistent uh, engagement. And the, the biggest untapped voting block is the under 30 voting block. Mm -hmm. um, these are people who should be voting um, and whose futures indeed depend on it because they're going to be here. You're going to be here a lot longer than any of the rest of us. Um, and we need to make sure that we figure out how to engage with those people so that they are getting into that habit of voting. It's really hard to vote for the first time when you're in your 50s and you think, yeah. well, I feel stupid because right. I feel like I should know how to do this and I really don't. Mm -hmm. um, so let's figure out how to close that gap. Yeah. Is that any different, do you think, though, historically? I mean, I'm trying to think back 50 years ago when I first became eligible to vote. I, I'm, I remember back then it was like everyone, hey, young people don't vote, you know. Mm -hmm. So is that much different from the past or? I mean, I can just, you know. I, I, when I was turned, it was a big deal. I mean, we voted. And I think part of it is your background, your family, your experiences, all those kind. are your parents going to the polls, parents taking you to the polls. It's that sort of learning by doing. And I think that's key. Has a legislator visited your classroom? All, you know, do you, you know I, I think all of those things. I'm interested in knowing, if, Chris, if you have a sense of your age group getting excited about voting, or do you have a sense of you know, whether or not people are sort of, I don't know, kind of carrying the old, gosh, it's not going to make a difference sort of thing. Yeah, um, I do think there's definitely sort of a niche group of people who are super ecstatic about voting, you know, yeah. can't wait to turn 18 to register right. to vote and head to the polls. But, you know, obviously, as statistics show, um, there's also, you know, a large number of people in my generation who are you know sort of overwhelmed and intimidated by the process of voting and part of that is like you said there's all these different offices on the ballot and they're like I've never heard of this I just want to you know check the box for president what does the state's yeah. attorney uh, do what, yeah. <clears throat> yeah and um, 
not only is a lack of voting a problem, but also uneducated voting. You know, we talk about polarization a lot nowadays, um, and people just voting based on parties, saying, mm -hmm. hey, you know, I think I prefer Republicans or Democrats. I'm just going to vote for that candidate without mm -hmm. actually, you know, looking into their issues and exploring their positions. Um, so to answer your question, I do, you know, I do think there's, a, you know, probably a small subset of people who, you know, have developed informed positions on complex issues and are ecstatic about going to the polls. But I'd say probably the majority, you know, isn't really, isn't really sure where they land on the spectrum and doesn't really know how they can go about voting and if they will go about voting once they turn 18. Which doesn't sound a whole lot different from what I remember yeah. when I was in high yeah. school. Yeah. I mean, back then Vietnam was the big yeah. burning issue and uh, it was very easy to kind of develop opinions about that. Mm -hmm. uh, but One of the uh, things I'd love to find out is why, you know, at least I could have this wrong, but in, in West, at least Western Europe, I mean, the voting turnout, it's huge. I mean, just absolutely. Right. What is it that is happening here? And maybe it very much, again, goes back to these early years around, you know, do you, you know, what's your experience? What's your family's experience? Is it kind of generational how engaged somebody actually gets? Is it because some countries make it into a national holiday, do you think? And you you have the time. It's not like, you know, you yeah. get this, you know, get well, off from work or something like that, or, or, or you're sitting standing in line for three hours right. uh, or something ridiculous well, like that. Well, some countries require you to vote. Mm -hmm. That's an interesting thought. You know, the, the, the whole holiday thing is has always intrigued me. Uh, having a day off. You know, we did as kids just because of where we <clears throat> happened to be, you know, the school district would close, you'd have a bake sale and people would go in and vote. Um, but, you know, in a way, I think that would sort of at least highlight it a little bit more. You're off today to vote. Um, yeah. yeah. But I don't know the numbers are in that. And my only worry with that is, um, is that what will probably end up happening is that offices will be closed and and you know maybe even manufacturing might be closed but the gas station's not going to be closed the grocery mm -hmm. store's not going right. to be closed the local cafe is not going to be closed because yeah. that's a day when everybody is off work and might be wanting to spend money in their community yeah. um, and to your earlier point i mean you think about it you get a ballot in the mail and you can vote 30 days ahead of time vote. in Vermont. Yeah. So, I mean, there are, Vermont, I feel like, is in a good position mm -hmm. with regard to trying to get, doing what we're supposed to be doing to keep democracy alive and to get people there. But something is certainly breaking down. I do think the voter guide is intriguing. I've seen California's, really powerful, rise in the mail, paper copy, photo, what the office does, and you know, everybody gets I don't know 500 words to sort of say their position. And that, I mean, that's I, I don't know what their numbers are compared to ours, but I think there's something there. Yeah. There's a, there are several states that do um, a voter guide that we will look to to, yeah. uh, to to see what works and and how we can do that with a Vermont flair. So here's a question that goes to the whole federal nature of our government in this country, where states have certain privileges and the national government has some. Why can't we make a national role around that? Why does it have to be up to individual states to say, well, you know, yeah, we're going to make it a state holiday or, you know, or you have to vote or something, whereas the rules here in Vermont are going to be completely different from what they are in Texas or some other state? Well, it turns out that you can't get a national consensus 
when it comes to even supporting the infrastructure of our elections. I was stunned and, you know, I, my jaw dropped, I think, at my first meeting of the National Association of Secretaries of State when another secretary from a different state, which will remain nameless, uh, actually stood up and said, we don't need any, uh, any federal appropriation to support the conduct of elections. We're doing just fine without it. We, you know, we never asked for this kind of money. And I, I'm sitting here from the perspective of a secretary from a small state with, you know, 250 mm, yeah. towns, and uh, you know, we need to need to be able to supply tabulators, which are complex pieces of uh, equipment, very precise, uh, you know, counting equipment. We need to be able to provide that to our local communities. And I think it's absolutely appropriate that the federal government should support some of that basic infrastructure of elections. And, and you know, it, I think it would be great if the federal government also supported, uh, you know, some of these efforts to try to increase turnout. Mm -hmm. Senator Campion, I want to make before, I, before I forgot, because I want to get back to asking you some more questions about your app there uh, before we... Which we, we should remake, the, repeat uh, the name of again. It's Civically. Civically. Find it on the App Store. Yeah. Yeah. How, how does your committee work with the Agency of Education in terms of developing curriculum? Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming they're the folks who kind of have all the, you know, bullet point knowledge about one thing or another, and you're there saying, well, this sounds good. Or can't you do more with this? I mean, I just wonder, how does the process work? Uh, if you wanted to say, like after this conversation, you go back to Montpelier, you think, you know, we need to make it a, a mandatory that all sixth graders can pass the test on the civically app right. or whatever. I mean, would that be like a conversation you'd be able to have with the folks over there and then they would go back and try to implement something? Sure. No, it, it's a great question. And one of the things that I'm always reminding people about, the legislature really can do frankly, what it wants. I mean, it, it, it can pass a law tomorrow that would require everybody in the state to download civically. I mean, those kinds of things are within the legislature's power. That being said, you know, the legislature has not been involved historically with curriculum or standards. I mean, the standards, uh, we've asked the State Board of Education and the agency to review standards from, from time to time. We've weighed in around, you know, what standards, uh, you know, opportunities around increasing standards, improving standards, changing. But usually those are things that the State Board of Education and the Agency of Education do. And no one, none of these organizations are involved with curriculum. In other words, how do you reach those standards? How is it that, you know, we might say every student needs to be exposed to, uh, I don't know, five different, cult, you know, uh, cultures in the world in their eighth grade year of school. How teachers do that, the legislature doesn't get itself involved. And I, and I think that's somewhat true throughout the United States. That being said, the legislature can initiate funds and resources, as the Secretary of State's office is doing it, is to help find different creative, interesting ways that can also take some pressure and give some tools to teachers around different ways to do this, this kind of work. So <clears throat> we generally don't get involved in that way. That being said, Look what we did around literacy. We recognized the state. We had teachers come forward. We had many people come forward. We looked at test scores and we said, we have to do something. Kids aren't reading and writing at grade level when they get to third grade. This is causing a huge problem. So we took some ARPA funds, worked with the Agency of Education, 
and we put made a big investment in retraining teachers uh, to do you know how to teach reading and writing. We didn't get involved in the details of you know how you might do this. That was up to the agency, but certainly the legislature recognized the need. Legislature could also recognize the need around civic education and ask for people to take a look at standards or set some money aside for one of the things that I'm a big believer in is, you know, <clears throat> things that teachers can do outside of the classroom, those kinds of opportunities, download, watch an app, uh, get involved in that way that they can then bring to help support them financially when they're looking for their master's degree or graduate degrees, those kinds of things that they can, again, could sort of translate into better teaching. Interesting. So, so Chris, back to you in the, in the app. Uh, how did you and your brother decide what would go into it? I, you know, it was very interesting and very detailed in the, into the weeds kind of uh, discussion about the Constitution and uh, the history of the Federalist Papers, all the stuff that any history geek out there is going to like just love. Um, but how did you decide how to, how to set it up? Um, Walk us through that process. Yeah, just as far as what content we included? Yeah. Yeah, so obviously, as a baseline, the Constitution is sort of, you know, the the bulk of the app's content is the Constitution, all of its sections, and then all 27 amendments. And then really it was just a lot of research to consider what else we should include. So obviously the Declaration of Independence was an easy one. And then we sort of delved into some of the Federalist Papers, and we tried to find sources of, okay, here was the logic behind this clause in the Constitution, and here's the thinking that motivated, uh, you know, this this clause's inclusion. Um, so, to answer your question, you know, in a short way, it was a lot of research, um, but we definitely, you know, we had a lot of, I had a lot of discussions with him and with you know peers and teachers about, you know, how valuable is this piece of content and is it worth including? Do we want you know every American that downloads this? To be knowledgeable about this, and so we uh, we've included a lot of Supreme Court cases. We have over twenty of those now, and the nice thing about our app being in a digital format is that we can continue upgrading it. So as we do more research, when we find more things that we think are worth including, we can actually upload those onto um, into our backend, and users can access them immediately from anywhere in the country. So as new you know court decisions are being made, or as we find new historical documents or Federalist Papers that we think should be included, we can keep adding those so that we have an evolving and growing content base. Did, was there anything that really surprised you when you were going through your research that you didn't know about the background of some amendment to the Constitution or, or some, some aspect of the Constitution that, you know, just was kind of obscure and didn't really know, most people wouldn't really know about it, but was there anything that really stuck out as like, wow, I didn't realize they did it that way because of... Yeah, I think the Supreme Court aspect was really fascinating in that respect, just sort of seeing how judicial precedent has changed over time depending on the justices um, who are sitting on the bench and how they interpret the Constitution in a different manner and really use their judgment in that interpretation to expand civil liberties or sometimes restrict them. So I think I was really uh, you know, intrigued and sometimes surprised by, by the Supreme Court and how, and how their standards have changed over time. Being surprised, <clears throat> yeah, to, to over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's great. I mean, right that's now, that's but... you know what Chris is talking about is is huge. Even as for adults, how do you engage in something that kind of puts you there, gives you the history of the courts, how different people made these decisions, and it sort of allows you to take a step and say, "Hey, how would I make this decision if these mm -hmm. things were put before me?" 
Yeah. I mean, from my perspective, you know, if you dropped me in in the middle of Vermont uh, and I grew up here not knowing about our nation's history, I would say, well, of course women should be allowed to vote. Why not? You know, we're equal mm -hmm. participants in society. We are the breadwinners of our families. We are perfectly uh, equal human beings. And then you would need to do a little research to mm -hmm. understand that that didn't come about at the beginning of our nation, and it was actually a very hard-fought uh, battle. Yeah. yeah, there's so much to learn on it, uh, and again, uh, definitely worth a download. Um, I do think, just to, to add, I do think the Constitution, well, one of the things I'm already leaving this conversation with is to go back and, and try to understand what is it that students are learning around the Constitution in our schools to make sure that uh, you know, it, it, knowledge is power. So if you really do understand the ins and outs of the U.S. and state constitutions, then you're being empowered with something that's going to help you for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. I mean, is it, is it typical, Chris, that, you know, high school students would at some point over the course of four years in, in high school have a class that really at least spends part of a semester at least looking at this in, in some kind of fine detail? Or, or is that yeah. So, like Senator Campion said, there's obviously not a civics requirement for graduation in Vermont as of now. But I know at least in Burn Burton, um, every student will, you know, take civics coursework before they graduate. So your sophomore year class will either be um, an honors government class or uh, a CP level class that's, you know, sort of oriented, you know, not entirely about civics in the case of the CP class, but oriented towards civics and learning about government. So you'll learn about, you know, those bare bones foundational pieces and then also, you know, educate yourself about modern political issues and how they relate to those foundational pieces that you learned about. So although it's not a requirement, I, I know at least at Burn Burton in Manchester, it's definitely a priority of the administration and the social studies department to make sure that um, students, when they graduate, are prepared to engage with the democratic system. I should mention, I mean, it's part of our standards. We just don't have a class. So you might pick it up in your ninth grade class, 10th grade government class, 11th grade sort of American history class, but there isn't at least a requirement to have that one class at this point. Mm. Well, but maybe we'll get there. Maybe it'll be a conversation yeah. for next year. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Anyway, uh, we, we're sort of uh, running a little bit out of time. I thought before we go, um, it would be fun to have a little pop quiz, as it were, of, of some some civics question to see how well this distinguished panel so here. So because he's been doing so much research, is it him against the two of us and we get to share? That's right. That's right. We can, right, 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 right. Well, we can divide it up anyway. I'll just throw out the questions that anybody who wants to raise their hand can. can, can. And there's no buzzer? We don't no. get to. And no $200 in, 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 in civics on Jeopardy. To, uh, we don't have to phrase our answer in the form of a question. You don't have to give okay. a question. Just, and, just. I, and I should mention, you know, I did download before I came this U.S. Citizen and Immigration Services yeah. test. It'd be interesting. I mean, if people want to sort of also test their skills, I would, you know, uh, certainly look at Chris's app. And then, you know, this is also pretty interesting to see what people are required to know to become citizens. Right. So there, there are 100 questions that, uh, uh, the, I guess, the State Department oh, yeah, 100, put, yeah. puts out. Uh, and folks who are coming to this country as immigrants, uh, green card holders or whatever, and who want to become U.S. citizens have to pass a test. Uh, I think it's 10 questions. There's, they pick any set of 10 out of these 100, and, and the applicant has to, I think, get uh, I think it's six or seven of them right. They don't have to get all 10 right, but uh, a majority of them. 
And uh, so I thought it'd be kind of fun to see how our panel here would do on some of these questions. Um, in my, in my humble opinion, I think it's a fairly easy test, but I'll, I'll invite all of our viewers to go and uh, download it from the Department of State's uh, website and, and check it out, see how you would do. All right, so here's one question. Under our Constitution, some powers belong to the states. What is one power of the states? Well, well one from my area of jurisdiction is we are allowed to set the parameters around which uh, we will administer elections in our state. So we get to specify the number of polling places and the method of tallying votes, et cetera, et cetera. Correct. Uh, others include providing schooling and education, providing police protection, providing safety, like fire departments, uh, driver's license, and approving zoning and land use. So. What's interesting about that, though, because I was thinking about the education piece, is there also how the states and the feds really do connect on some of those kinds of things. I mean, certainly the feds have a role in education as well. And with police, at least, you get some state, but let's be honest, a lot of it is local. Mm -hmm. right. Right. I think, to me, one of the most interesting aspects of our government, and this is probably the case in other countries as well, but I think we do it to a more greater degree here, is, is that the whole division between local, state, and, and national, federal government. I mean, mm -hmm. each has certain powers, and, and each seems to be very jealous of those powers and uh, wants to make sure that the boundary lines are respected mm -hmm. or whatever. Mm -hmm. It seems like that's an important piece. Well, here's another one. There are four amendments to the Constitution about who can vote. Describe one of them. Um, so the 19th Amendment, as we mentioned earlier, gave women the right to vote. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, let's see, some others would be that you have to be 18 years old, uh, you don't have to pay a poll tax, any citizen can vote, um, and yeah, those are the main ones. And, and one of the things that it's worth pointing out that, again, if you drop someone off in the middle of the United States right now, they might not remember or know that you used to have to be 21 in order right. to be able to vote. Right. Um, and so the fact that you could be asked to go off to war to defend your country, but yet you didn't have the right to vote, uh, really struck people as unfair and wrong. Um, and now 18-year-olds can vote. Well, that was certainly a big issue back back in my day when I was in high school, and uh, people were drafted at 18 or 19 and weren't eligible to vote and mm -hmm. were sent off to uh, a hot war. All right, should we throw one at McKeever now? Oh, I think we should. I think, I think it's fine. All right, all right, all right. It's only fair. So let's see. What does the judicial branch do? The judicial branch uh, determines the uh, constitutionality of laws and, uh, you know, judicial review of uh, acts that are passed by Congress. Yeah. Excellent. Perfect. Close enough. Yeah. 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 You must have one for Also all resolves of disputes or disagreements about uh, about. Law, uh, different laws that have been passed. Yeah. Chris? Which Supreme Court case established the power of judicial review? Marbury versus Madison. Oh. That was easy. <laughs> I learned that back in con law in college. 1804, right? Three. 18. That <laughs> <laughs> was so close. <laughs> All right, one final question, and then we'll probably have to call it a day here. Um, the Federalist Papers supported the passage of the U.S. Constitution. Name one of the writers. Madison. John, John Jay and Hamilton. And they went by Publius. 
Is Madison anonymous, or did he go by? He had a, didn't he have a, Publius. a pseudonym? He did as well. Yeah, yeah. Right. Why did they use a pseudonym? Did you figure that out? I think it was, well, it was arguing for the ratification of the Constitution. So, I don't know, I guess it was controversial, so they wanted to protect their identity. I don't know too many specific details. But they didn't want people to disregard them just because they happened to be part of right. writing hmm. it. Boy, if they'd had social media back in 1787, right. the world would have really been crazy. Yeah, huh? right. <laughs> but as we were saying before we got started, I mean, yeah. these those papers were being debated and discussed. Mm. They were published in the papers. Everybody mm. talked about them in the pubs and taverns and at their kitchen table. And that's what we want to return to. Absolutely. Well, we'll have to leave it there for today, but boy, I got, I got a feeling we could talk about this for a long, long time longer. But anyway, uh, thank you all for being with us and take, making the time for uh, this conversation. It's really fascinating, and we hope all of you who have been watching as well have, joined, uh, have enjoyed it as well. Thank you again to Senator Brian Campion, Secretary of State Sarah Copeland Hanses, and Chris Alfano, student at Burn Burton, uh, and developer, co-developer, I should say, of the Civically app. Be sure to go out and download it after you watch the show. And uh, well, thanks. For, thank you for being with us. We'll see you again the next time. Meanwhile, have a great day. Thank you for listening local. For more local content, visit gnat.tv.